Our patients remain convinced that the birth control pill increases cancer risk. Yet one of the pill's unappreciated benefits is the remarkable protection it can afford against ovarian cancer. This is but one of the non-contraceptive benefits of birth control methods that we will explore. You are listening to ReachMD on XM157. We are the channel for medical professionals. In this show, we will be discussing non-contraceptive benefits of birth control options. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Robert Hatcher. Dr. Hatcher is a professor of gynecology and obstetrics at the Emory University School of Medicine. Many in our audience will recognize him as a lead author of Contraceptive Technology, perhaps the most comprehensive book on contraception available. First written by Dr. Hatcher in 1967, the book's 19th edition will be available shortly. Welcome, Dr. Hatcher. Nice to be with you, Dr. Benson. Okay, well, let's go over some of the non-contraceptive benefits of the birth control pill or hormonal contraceptives in general. So I thought we'd first start with acne. What can you tell us about how effective the pill is or the patch or the ring is in reduction of acne? The pill is the first line of treatment of acne for many clinicians. It's so effective. and I mean, it's not 100%, but it certainly can help by producing a thin sebum, and that's a good way to start treatment of acne. And it raises a very interesting issue that your clinicians will be interested in. I had a patient who started taking pills at age 16 and loved the effect of pills on her acne, and it just cleared up her acne. And she also loved the effect of the pills on dysmenorrhea. So she took the pills for five years, then she stopped the pills, became pregnant, had her first child, took the pills from then till she when she was 28. And she loved the effect of pills on acne and on dysmenorrhea, two of the big non-contraceptive benefits of pills. At that point, she had a blood pressure that was up in the sky. I mean, it was 200 over 105. And undetected by her clinician, unfortunately, she had been having migraine headaches with aura for the entire time since she was 16. So on that date, she was told to stop the pills. She worked in a medical facility. She was told, come in every day and get your blood pressure checked. We're going to wait for just a little while to see whether it goes down once you stop the pills. Stop the pills. She was told in unambiguous terms to stop the pills. Well, she liked the pills. So in this instance, the acne prevention and the effect on her dysmenorrhea actually worked to her disadvantage because she was not going to stop those pills. And she ultimately had a stroke, almost died, was unconscious for a number of days, uh, and had a speech deficit and was paralyzed on one side and eventually recovered use of everything. And when she was talking to her neurosurgeon three months after being in the hospital, she wanted to go back on pills, even though she was told very clearly so that... One of the things that got to happen is that a person can have such dramatic non-contraceptive benefits that they aren't about to stop taking the pills. But acne is one of the really benefits that people just love. What about the prevention of ovarian cancer that I mentioned before? Pills, if you take them for 10 years, let's say, you have about an 80% protective effect against ovarian cancer, and it is a protective effect that appears to last for at least 30 years after you stop the pills, so that there's a dramatic 
protective effect against both endometrial cancer and against ovarian cancer by taking birth control pills. Now, we assume that that's true for other hormonal contraceptives like the patch and the ring, but we don't know. What about endometrial hyperplasia and uh, endometrial cancer? It's pretty clear that Depo-Provera and even the combined pills reduce the risk of this as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about the combined pills preventing an endometrial cancer and Depo-Provera too. The levonorgestrel IUD system is being used to treat endometrial hyperplasia, and that probably has a protective effect against endometrial cancer as well, but that's uh, less well documented. It is documented that the levonorgestrel releasing IUD or Marina treats bleeding symptoms and lowers the size of uterine fibroids and the pain caused by uterine fibroids and is being used to treat dysmenorrhea so that the levonorgestrel IUD is a terrific new hormonal contraceptive that can have uh, non-contraceptive benefits. Aren't fibroids a relative contraindication to the use of the IUD? Only if there's marked distortion of the endometrial cavity. And some people will use it even then. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Robert Hatcher, co-author of 19 editions of Contraceptive Technology. Today we are discussing non-contraceptive benefits of birth control options. What about the STD prevention of barrier methods? The condom is legend in this regard. How effective is it? Well, it's extremely effective against chlamydia, gonorrhea. It's 90% protective against transmission of HIV. If you're exposed to HIV over a course of a year, you're 90% less likely to be infected if you're using condoms. So we think it's good protection against those three infections, HIV, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. It's a little bit less effective against the STDs that are more widely spread on cutaneous tissues and so forth. Why don't we mention one of those, HPV, human papillomavirus? HPV is one of those. Hopefully that all our clinicians will be encouraging people to get HPV vaccination up to age 27. We, in some of our writings, had up to age 26. It's actually through age 26 and up to age 27. And that's all women, including people that have been exposed to multiple partners and presumably have been exposed to some of the four variants in Gardasil. But it's apparently less than a half of 1% of women who, in their reproductive years, have been exposed to all four. So that the recommendation is all women up through age 27. And hopefully we'll have ways of doing that financially that'll be straightforward. There are some non-contraceptive benefits that have been alleged, but I'm not as sure today that we still believe these benefits exist. And specifically, what about spermicides and the protection against STD? When I was a resident and up until a few years ago, we were taught that spermicides can disrupt the cell membrane of sperm and even of bacteria. There is some modest protective effect against some of the bacteria that cause infections like chlamydia and gonorrhea. It has no protective effect against HIV. In fact, if a woman is having very frequent intercourse, it actually increases her risk of transmission of HIV. That's what I thought I read. Why would spermicides increase the risk of HIV? By having effects on the vaginal mucosa to 
make it be more likely to be inflamed, uh, ulcerated, because uh, the spermicidal, there's just too much of it. It sometimes is associated with a mechanical thing like a capillary or a, a diaphragm, but spermicide should not be looked upon as a means of preventing infections. They're not nearly as effective as condoms for other infections, and, and they may be harmful with regard to HIV. Another question that comes up where I think contraceptives have dubious benefit is for PMDD or PMS. Is the pill an effective treatment for premenstrual dysphoric disorder? Yes. I get some has an indication for PMDD. And the use of a monophasic pill, that is a pill that where the dosage does not change at all in the three weeks that they're taken, the use of a monophasic pill continuously, that would be Libril, uh, for example, or season now if you just don't stop the hormones at all and you're taking it for a year in, year out, you are going to get a beneficial effect with regard to um, those premenstrual symptoms. And it's been very well documented with regard to bloating, but it beneficially affects all of the premenstrual symptoms. And of course, it prevents dysmenorrhea too. So I think that one of the things we're going to be getting data on in the not too distant future is the continuous use of hormones and a number of different conditions. And I think we're going to look for, in terms of non-contraceptive benefits, the continuous use of pills, the continuous use of, say, a ring, the continuous use of the Mirena IUD is the easiest one to use. We're going to just learn a lot about the benefits of those in terms of certain diseases. And there are certain diseases that Spiroff notes occur exclusively in the PMS time or in the time of menses. For example, menstrual migraines. About 10 to 15% of women only have migraine headaches at the time of their menses. Now, as long as they're not migraine headaches with aura, if they're the ordinary garden variety of migraine headaches, which is 85% of migraine headaches don't have aura. Those women are, 15% of them have their headaches only at the time of menstruation, and about 70% of them, menstruation makes them worse. Now, those people are going to do very, very much better taking hormonal contraceptives continuously because they're going to obliterate the time of menstrual bleeding. Seizures, there are about 10 to 15% of women also who only have their seizures at the time of menses. Asthma is exclusively at the time of menses in a small number of women. And so I think we're going to be getting data on a number of the cyclic symptoms that women can have when they use hormonal contraceptives continuously. Now, in discussing the benefits of contraceptives, non-contraceptive or even contraceptive benefits, one question that comes up in terms of patient education, and what has your experience been in where patients get their information about contraception? Who communicates with them, and how do they get their information? Are doctors the only source of information? Well, I want to mention my website, www.managingcontraception.com, because we answer lots of questions for patients. That's www.managingcontraception.com. The package insert has some good information. It has some misinformation. And my friend David Grimes from North Carrot Chapel Hill gives a talk every year at our contraceptive technology conferences. And I remember one year he said, I specifically tell my patients not to read the patient package insert. It is trash. 
Now, I don't quite feel that strongly. I think that the fact is today that women can be getting conflicting information from a lot of different sources. A good source can be their clinician, obviously. The nurses that work in a doctor's office can be a good source of information. Patient handouts for the various methods of birth control that the doctor is sure says what he or she wants it to say. I want to thank Dr. Robert Hatcher, co-author of Contraceptive Technology, who has been our guest. We have been discussing non-contraceptive benefits of birth control options. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would love to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for future shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. We really do read your mail. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.